0: your Bibles with me to John chapter 19. We're going to be looking in John 19. I'm going to have you turn there and we're going to, we're going to, we're actually going to start with uh, with First Peter. So if you want to put a bookmark whenever we have a joke at the house. When we do a bookmark, Eli from a young age, we would we would read a book, and he never knew the word bookmark. so he would always say, "I need a pause." <laughs> so I need to pause the book. so we're gonna pause John nineteen and we're gonna we're gonna if you're gonna hold there, we're gonna look at also at first uh, Peter chapter one <clears throat> so in in eternity past. The Holy Godhood, uh, the Holy Godhead, determined the plan of salvation. Uh, the The sin of Adam was not a surprise to God. Uh, the fall of man was not a surprise to God. You know, there's There's nothing in this world that is a surprise to God. When When Adam sinned in the garden, God didn't look from heaven in a panic and think, "Oh no, what do I do now?" And then quickly come up with the idea of the cross. Now, God knew Adam would fall, and with the fall of Adam, the entire human race fell. Adam is our common ancestor. If if all of us were able to trace our family tree back to the point of creation, we would find that we all have common ancestors, Adam and Eve. All of us are related through Adam and Eve, so I guess that makes church potlucks family reunions. But, <laughs> uh, but all of us are related, you know, and, and all of us in our families have things, family traits that we've inherited, right? Uh, my, I have a brother who's an uh, <clears throat> occupational therapist, and he always says that all of us have inherited what we call the Lucius back all of us have back issues we all have shoulder issues we all have and he's told me it's something and something with our spine at the top of our between our shoulders there's something goofy there in the bone structure and he said all of us have it it's all my siblings have it and so he calls it the lucius back but so we deal we all deal with back pain uh So, just like that, we have all inherited the sin of Adam. It was passed through the generations, through Adam and through every father. Now, a very important point to make, Jesus did not have an earthly father in the way we have earthly fathers, right? He was born of a woman who had been overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, since He didn't have an earthly father, in that sense, he was born without the sin of Adam. Look, we're, we are sinners by birth through the sin of Adam, but we're also sinners by choice through our own sinful behavior. We freely choose to sin. No one has ever been forced to sin. Now, I'm not saying there has never been a time when someone was forced to commit a sin, but I'm saying that Every single person freely chooses to sin. And they do it countless times throughout their life. And because God knows the end from the beginning, He knew sin would enter into His perfect creation. So the Holy Trinity developed the plan of salvation in eternity past. There, there are some who say God saw Adam sin, and at that point He came up with the plan to send Jesus to the cross. But I, I don't think we see that in Scripture. And that's where I want to turn to... First Peter uh, chapter one and I want to read verses seventeen through twenty says if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life uh, from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So I want to stop right there. How, how are we saved? It's through faith in the finished work of Christ. right? It's not through things that pass away, but but we're we're saved by the very blood of Christ. And since it is not by things that pass away, our salvation is secure. Since since it's not a temporary thing that saves us, our salvation is not a temporary thing. Uh, So let's continue. Verse, Verse 20, For He, now who's the He? That's Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Christ the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Savior, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Now, what does foreknown mean? Some translations in this verse say foreknown, some say foreordained, some say chosen. What does it mean? It means before the foundation of the world, God chose God the Son to be the Christ. The the Holy Trinity chose God the Son to enter into creation and be the Savior of the world. means this was all planned before the world was created. Peter is telling us that God chose in eternity past to send Jesus to be the spotless Lamb of God who would enter into creation at a chosen time, live a perfect sinless life, and then at a precise moment in time die by crucifixion. So this morning, we're going to look at that moment. We're going to look at the moment of the death, uh, looking at the moment He, Jesus, hung on the cross. So uh, if you want to go back to your your pause at John 19, uh, that's actually the the text we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to begin reading at verse 16, and I'll read down to uh, verse 30. So he, so Pilate, then handed him, handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the Place of a Skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read the inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write, the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, they divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots." Therefore the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, "'Woman, behold your son.' Then he said to the disciple, "'Behold your mother.' From that hour the disciple took her into his own household." After this, Jesus, knowing all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Heavenly Father as we come to this passage this morning this passage that is just so so gruesome to think that the king of glory the savior of the world the anointed one god himself in flesh was nailed to a cross like the lowest of the common criminal to think he was put there because of our sin <clears throat> what a what a scandal that seems to be but lord what glorious couple of words that we read in this passage when Jesus says it is finished Lord, to know that the debt is paid, the the debt for sin, that, that, that debt is canceled, it, it it is finished. Lord, I pray that <clears throat> all of us here would be able to say in our own hearts that our sin debt to God is, is no more. It is finished. That, that Jesus did take our sin on the cross. But Lord, that's only true if we place our trust in Him. And we are thankful for that. Amen. Amen. So Pilate... Tried to release Jesus. <coughs> On multiple occasions, he said he finds no guilt in Jesus. He even placed Jesus and Barabbas in front of the crowd and said, You know, pick one of these guys for me to set free. Now, he was fully expecting that they were going to say Jesus because Barabbas was a bad guy. The text says he was a robber. Barabbas was there to be crucified. But the people hated the Lord Jesus so much that they demanded the release of this criminal. Now, crucifixion was and still is one of, if not the cruelest, most painful, most degrading forms of capital punishment ever devised by man. You know, today we, we hear of the death penalty being eliminated because, you know, they we say, well, putting someone to death by lethal injection is too cruel. That would be child's play compared to crucifixion. It's, uh, crucifixion was said to have been created by the Assyrians and perfected by the Romans. It was meant not only to be a punishment for the criminal but a deterrent for everyone who would see it. This was a very public execution. It was designed to be seen. The, the person crucified was forced to carry the cross. You know, Carry the, the cross beam for their cross. To, to carry the very beam they would soon be nailed to and they would be marched through the city. Now if you can imagine, the the Lord as we talked about last week has already been scourged. He would have endured a beating so brutal that many die as a result of the beating. He had certainly suffered extreme blood loss. He's physically and mentally exhausted. Now he's forced to carry this wooden beam through the streets to Mount Calvary. And as we know from the other gospels, Jesus was struggling greatly to carry the cross. So the Roman soldiers, they forced this man along the street, this man named Simon from, from Cyrene. They, they force him to help him. It says they compelled him. Well, that's just a nice way of saying they, they forced him. Uh, the, the man's in the crowd. He's, he's watching this parade of criminals through the streets and they grabbed him and said, guess what? You, you get to help. Now, Golgotha, or Calvary, as we may be more familiar with the name, was apparently an elevated spot outside of the city. Uh, They're not exactly sure where it was located. Apparently there's a couple different locations that they think might be uh, Mount Calvary, but they're not exactly sure. Uh, But it was a spot outside the city, very visible to anyone entering the city. Uh, The Romans wanted people to know who was in control. Nothing, you know, nothing shows power quite like nailing someone to a cross to die an agonizing death in view of everyone. Uh, Jesus was marched to Calvary. Simon was following behind him. Simon of Cyrene following behind him, carrying the cross. And as we know, Jesus was nailed to his cross. And on either side of him was a criminal, also on, on their own cross. There had been three crucifixions planned for that day. Most likely that center cross was meant for Barabbas. And the two thieves flanking Jesus on his left and right, quite possibly were Barabbas' uh, fellow thieves. They, they could have been caught together, and Barabbas was the ringleader, so he would have the center, center cross. This would also explain why Pilate offered to release either Barabbas or Jesus. Certainly, he thought they would not want Barabbas back on the street, and they would certainly choose Jesus and set Jesus free. Instead, they chose Barabbas, as we know, and demanded the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, when they crucify someone, they would inscribe their their crime on a board and, and nail that board on the cross above their head. So Pilate had Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews, inscribed and hung over his head. and He did that because he knew it was going to make the Jews angry. He knew this was happening during the Passover. Pilate was not happy. He was not happy with the Jews. Uh, and He was going to make a statement. Uh, they, they pretty much kind of made a fool out of him by demanding this crucifixion where he tried so hard to get Jesus free, they made it clear to Pilate who was in charge in this situation, and now Pilate is going to make a statement of his own. He's letting the Jews know who truly is in control. Rome. Pilate has this inscription in multiple languages, so anyone walking by would see and know that Rome is in power. Here is the king of the Jews, nailed to a cross. So the soldiers crucify the Lord. He's been beaten beyond recognition. He's forced to carry this cross for a distance. Then He's nailed to that very cross. These trained professional executioners knew just how to inflict the most pain, all the while prolonging life as long as they could so that the person being crucified would suffer more. The nails were driven... Just in the perfect spot so they would go through tendons a lot of pictures you see them going through the middle of the hands, but a Lot of the stuff I've read said they actually probably went through the wrist There's a spot where the tendons cross and if you go just in the right spot, it'll Cause your your wrist just a spasm uncontrollably when that nail goes through and you just lose all control of that hand so they knew just the place to put the nails Now there was nothing inherent to crucifixion that would cause death. You don't bleed to death. You don't have internal injuries from the crucifixion itself. In a crucifixion, the person dies of suffocation after they have exhausted themselves to stay alive. While they are hanging there, you know, they're they're hanging from their hands. And they're just kind of drooped. And that causes pressure on their diaphragm. And they're, on, they're, they're just on in, unable to inhale air. So in order to inhale, they have to force themselves straight to get that weight off their diaphragm. So they have to put all the weight on that nail that's in their ankle, through both their ankles. Take the weight off, take a quick breath, and then relax again. And as Jesus is doing this, his, you know, they're stripped. So there's His bare back that has been scourged going up and down this cross every time He takes a breath. And every time He would need to take a breath, He had to go through this extreme agony. It can take days for a person to die from crucifixion. They, they only die when they become too exhausted to straighten themselves out and take a breath. And this is why when we... We're going to read about this next week. They, the soldiers, eventually break the legs of the other two, because once they, once they break their legs, they can't straighten themselves out and take a breath anymore, and they they suffocate. You know, death comes quicker. Now, as the Lord hung on that cross, he was aware of what was happening. He was coherent enough to look around at his old mother lovingly. Place her under John's care, the Apostle John's care. He was coherent enough to say, I am thirsty. Now, this was one of the final things he did in his life. John tells us, Jesus knew all things had been accomplished. Everything that Jesus was sent to do, he had done. The cross accomplished what the cross was supposed to accomplish. The sin debt was paid, and he says, I am thirsty And those few words fulfill an Old Testament prophecy. Psalm 69.21 says, They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Now, imagine. Jesus is nailed to a cross. He's been viciously beaten. He's exhausted. He says, I am thirsty. And they give Him vinegar. Vinegar. I don't want to drink vinegar in my right mind. I don't, definitely don't want to drink vinegar when I'm... Not that Jesus wasn't in His right mind, but I don't want to drink vinegar, you know. But even giving that vinegar was part of the excruciating nature of the crucifixion because that vinegar would be a shock to the system. The person would instantly perk up and be able to endure even more agony. Even today... Runners will drink apple cider vinegar as part of their training, because it helps you during workouts. It helps you does a lot of good for the body. So that, that was even back then they knew that, and that was part of the, uh, part of the crucifixion. And with that, Jesus says, "It is finished, and he dies. It is finished. What is finished? What what does Jesus mean when he says it is finished? Everything that needs to be done to pay the debt for the sin of all who will ever trust in him was finished. It was accomplished. At the cross, something actually happened. Right? Something was accomplished. Atonement was made at the cross. It was not made possible. Atonement was made. What is atonement? What does the word atonement mean? Simply put, atonement is the satisfaction for a debt owed. So, you know, you can say a bill paid if you want to make it really simple. But what debt did Jesus satisfy? He satisfied the debt for sin. You know, we, here at Fort Seneca Church, we teach substitutionary atonement. Jesus was punished as your substitute. When we say someone has been saved, what does that mean? What does the word saved mean? You know, what are they saved from? Oftentimes you, you may hear someone say, well, they've been saved from sin. And, and that's true to a point, but that's not all of it. We need to focus it down even more. If you are saved, you are saved from the penalty of your sin. You are saved from the wrath of God. This doesn't mean you're innocent. You have committed sins. You are guilty of sins. If if you've been gloriously saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, you still sin, but that sin debt has been paid. You are guilty, but your punishment was paid by someone else. As, As Jesus hung on that cross, your sin was placed on Him. He became sin. He did not become a sinner. We need to be clear on that he didn't become a sinner he became sin your sin was imputed to him right? what does that mean? The, the word impute is an is an accounting term it means literally means to apply to one's account Have you ever heard of the stories or seen on the news where you see where someone's in the line at McDonald's? And they go up to the drive-thru window and, and they pay for the food for the person behind them. And you see these stories every so often. Uh, you know, they go up and I want to pay for the food for the people behind me and just tell them, you know, have a blessed day. Well, if you're in line at McDonald's and, you know, you get to the drive-thru and you're ready to get your Big Mac and your French fries and Coke. And you get ready to pay for it. And the person in the little window says, no, you don't owe anything. The person in front of you paid for your food. That is imputation. They paid your account. Their payment was imputed to your bill, and your bill was imputed to them. As Jesus was on the cross, your sin was imputed to Him. Remember how Pilate, he put the board above Jesus' head, that, that board that had the charges written on it. Well, it was like all of your sin. All your sins were written on that little board. And that was nailed above Jesus' head is what he was dying for. Nailed up there for everyone to see. So that's a little scary of a thought, isn't it? All of your sins out there, written publicly... He was killed to pay the sin for your debt. He died because of sin. Sure, the Jews sentenced Jesus to death. They wanted Him sentenced to death for blasphemy. And again, no one forced the Jews to pursue and arrest the Lord. That was their own evil intent. But what they did was fully within the sovereign will and eternal plan of God, the the plan of salvation. What they did was fully in line with what we read from 1 Peter earlier. Even when you get into Acts, Peter is talking, and he, he confronts the religious leaders, and he says, you put Jesus to death. The Jews put Jesus to death. And then he, next, next couple words, according to the will of God. But your sin was imputed to Jesus. He was punished for your sin. The punishment of Jesus on that cross was your sin if you know Him as Savior. And if only one person was ever saved throughout the history of the world, the death of Christ on that cross would be no different. That's that's how horrible sin is. He still would have suffered infinite pain if it was only for one person. And also, there was nothing more that Jesus could have done on that cross for the people who will spend eternity in hell. His sacrifice was perfect and it was complete. But he didn't become a sinner. He was was still perfectly righteous. And his righteousness was imputed to you as a believer. Your sin was placed on his account. And his righteousness was placed on your account. Now, that doesn't mean we are perfectly righteous. It means that when God looks at us, you know Jesus, when God looks at you, He sees you as righteous. When God looks at you, He does not see the sin you commit. Instead, He sees the righteousness of Christ. And so, when when Jesus says it is finished, He means that... uh, the sin that was imputed to Him. The, the sin of everyone who will believe in Him. Your sin. Right? You know him as a Savior. Your sin was paid for. It was atoned for at the cross. It, it's a done deal. N- never to be punished again. So when you leave this world in Christ, you do not need to fear judgment. John speaks about this in 1 John. He says, perfect love casts out fear. You know, that, that fear of judgment. Your judgment was already borne by Jesus Christ Himself on the cross. You see, something actually was accomplished on the cross. Sin's debt was paid for. It was finished. Psalm one hundred three twelve says, "As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. It is gone." If Jesus is your Savior, your sin is gone. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that? It has been paid for. I think oftentimes, many of the struggles we have in this life are because we don't believe our sin is paid for. We, we torture ourselves. Yeah, we, we need to turn from the sin we commit. But we need to get, on, get over it. Get on with it and keep moving on. We don't, we don't camp on the sin. You know, change, right? Repent. Give it to God. It's, it's forgiven. If you have not trusted in Jesus as your Savior, that sin debt will have to be paid by you. You see, God will be vindicated for the sin committed against him. It's going to happen one of two ways. Either either your sin was imputed to Jesus at the cross, and you will never experience the judgment. Or you pay the penalty yourself by spending eternity in hell separated from God. So the question is, which, which do we choose? Let's pray. Heavenly Father uh, three simple words in the English language it is finished but so much writing on those three words Lord I I just pray that all of us here uh, first know the Lord but that in knowing Him, know the sin debt is finished. That we see the grace and love and mercy that You shower upon us. Lord, we we don't deserve it. And if we sit around thinking, I don't deserve it, then we're going to sit in misery, because we don't deserve it. That is the glory of the cross, that is the glory of grace. You. You give us what we don't deserve. You give us salvation and you withhold what we do deserve. You you withhold the punishment that we have earned. And that happens through trusting in what was accomplished, trusting in what what Jesus did on our behalf on the cross trusting that it is finished Lord how thankful we are for that Amen